it's a daily thing of loving yourself. You know, the first step is acknowledging the fact that you don't. Then you're like, what do I do with that? That's heavy. Where do you start? Hi there. I'm Kelly Tennant, and welcome to The Platform Podcast, where we get real so you can be well. Each week, I sit down to have authentic conversations with the leading voices in health and wellness to help you detox your life and give you the tools to feel your best and most vibrant self. My guests are here to educate you on the latest healing remedies, ancient wisdom, and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated the platform to elevate your mind, body, and spirit. Hey everyone, it's the last day of the year, so we're changing things up a bit and getting ready for 2019. I'm Stephen Tennant, and today I'm taking over my sister's show. All right, not really, she's interviewing me, but I wanted to introduce myself and tell you what we're talking about today. I'm Kelly's younger brother. I just moved up to Portland, I joined the Coast Guard, and today we're talking about my own wellness journey, self-sabotage, my life as an ocean lifeguard, my relationship with my sister, and how I've figured out how to actually love myself. I'm excited for you to hear our conversation, especially since this is the first interview I've ever done in my life. If you decide you want to follow me after this, you can find me on Instagram at 10 underscore 10, the number four. Okay, let's get to the show. So this is weird. You're on my show. I am on your show. Welcome. This is going right now. Yeah. All right. The red button says record. So I'm hoping that that means we are recording. Welcome to the Platform Podcast, Stephen Michael Tennant. Thanks for having me, Kelly Michelle. So for those of you who haven't been introduced to my little bubby yet, he's a couple years younger than me and he's a coastie. Based in Portland now. I'm officially a coastie. You're a coastie. Took a really long time, but you know. (laughs) Some adventures. It's about time I made it there, you know. (laughs) Buckle down a little bit. Some adventures as we were discussing over dinner at Mastro's last night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That moment when your little brother says, oh, I didn't tell you about that thing that one time. Let me tell you the story now because we're old enough and (laughs) you can handle it. You know, I got to feel those ones out. Um Because I'm never quite sure how, well, I'm never sure how someone's going to react, but I definitely don't know how you're going to react. <laughs> Why do you say that? I'm so calm and level-headed, always. Just these, your stares. That's one thing that's so funny about you and I. Our stares are mm-hmm. so heavy and it scares people. And like, you scare me when you stare at me sometimes. <laughs> so like, if I know that much, I'm like, no, she's not ready for that one. You've never admitted that to me before. I didn't yeah, know it was well, so scary. You know, some things you gotta you gotta keep to yourself. <laughs> when when did you first get scared of me? Um, no, I'm not necessarily scared of you. I'm scared of like your looks and how like you're gonna feel about the story that I tell you or something that I do. And I'm just like, I can't tell her that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's protective big sister that kicks in, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which obviously I want to avoid at all costs because then I have to admit (laughs) that I did something wrong. (laughs) Um, So I want to give people context for why you're on the show today because you're my brother, but that's not good enough to get on this show. 
you gotta do some other things. You are a wellness junkie and you're actually, it's so funny, you've introduced me to a lot of the brands and the people that I've had on the show. We were talking about Energy Bits last night. That's a a brand that you found for me and you're as obsessed with Catherine as I am. So that was pretty cool. But how did you get into this space and become such a podcast junkie and learning about wellness and, and how to optimize your own performance? Well, first of all, a little bit of nepotism goes a long way. Um, <laughs> no, um, you're right. I have, I feel like I've leveled up in my personal well-being. That's something that wasn't always important to me. I never really took the time to take care of myself or at least find it important enough to feel okay. And that stems back to a long time of, you know, hating myself. Self-loathing has always been really strong within me. And that's not something I was really able to acknowledge. I had, you know, mom told me, I've had exes tell me, you know, they're like, hey, you don't love yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course I'm like, oh, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about and, you know, whatever it was. And it wasn't until uh, I was about two and a half years ago when I had that massive breakdown with you that I it finally just came to light. You know, I, I finally accepted all those things I'd been bearing down inside of me for so many years. Yeah. So when I had that breakdown with you and, and just let everything out, it gave, told you all my feelings about you know, us and our relationship and, and mom and dad and, and just um, me. It, <laughs> just how much I wasn't taking care of myself. And that's, that's something I've been doing to myself my whole life, you know, self-sabotaging and um, putting roadblocks in my way. And everyone could see that but me. Mm-hmm. And it was brought to my attention, but not acknowledged. You when know? you had that breakdown, what... Do you remember what that final straw was where you were like, I just, I can't handle this anymore? Yeah, we were standing in line getting a Christmas tree, which is so funny. That's super ironic because it's supposed to be a really happy time and you're grabbing a Christmas tree and it turned into me just massively breaking down and crying. We were talking about mom and dad. I had been drinking so much because I let my last breakup just destroy me. And obviously at the time, I didn't really realize that, but I was going out and partying and having a good time. And um, it was really just, it was wrecking me. Mm -hmm. And so after hiding all those things and just really not taking the time to be self-aware and, you know, present in my own own well-being, I just started partying a lot. And don't be wrong, I had a good time, but there's so much more to life than that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, when we we started talking about mom and dad and, and drinking, I was just, I started tearing up. I remember looking at you and I was like, I need to get out of here. And then that whole way home, you know, that half mile drive, I like couldn't even breathe, you know, because I was crying so hard. And all these things were just coming to light. And I was just like, I hate myself and I'm so unhappy and I can't believe I haven't figured this out. And 
you were just there, you know, you just listened to everything. And I think that was a huge move for our relationship too. Was just like you sitting there and listening, you know, because that wasn't something that really always happened. It was kind of like, because you're a fixer Mm -hmm. and I kind of am too, but it was just, it was nice to just be able to sit there and get all of those things out. And it's something that I really needed. I think you saw that, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I've never seen you like that before. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going to judge you and it's not like I ever consciously go in and judge you. I just, obviously you've made some decisions in your life I don't agree with and vice versa. And when it's a sibling, I think it's really hard to just stand by and not say anything. But in that moment, particularly you didn't need someone to tell you you messed up. You were aware of that and you didn't like the situation that you would put yourself in. So my job was to just hold space for you and be a safe place where you could just be because the last thing you needed was someone berating you. Yeah. And I mean, we sat in my car for hours, three hours, yeah, close to it. It was, it was crazy. So at that time you were like, Hey, I'm taking six months off drinking do you want to join me? And I was like, you know, I really need to do that. That's, that'll help. <laughs> Let's start with that. Were you living with me yet? Mm, this was before you moved in. No, I was still living in Hermosa at this yeah. time. And so, yeah, I was still a couple weeks before the new year. So yeah, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going six months. And then I moved in with you in... March Mm, before summer when I was lifeguarding up Mm -hmm. in Malibu and I stopped drinking. The next big thing was changing my diet. That I wouldn't say it was necessarily hard. I think the circumstances of my job and everything that I was doing made it more difficult. And I had honestly never really taken the time to evaluate it. Mm -hmm. Just be like, all right, I need to change this. I need to change that. It's just like, whatever. All right. But now I wasn't drinking. I had the time and and the consciousness to to really take that into consideration. And yeah, I, I cut out not as much as I did when I moved in with you, but I, I cut out a bunch of stuff and I started feeling better. My I looked at pictures from before, my face was swollen. I didn't I wasn't fat. I don't get fat. No. You know, I work out a bunch. So like and I I feel good, but like my face was swollen. I was like that's weird, you know? Um, and that's because I was eating pancakes and potatoes <laughs> and all these things, you know, that were just... And alcohol and sugar. And alcohol. And, and um, I was bloated and I didn't really notice it. And my stomach was an absolute disaster. That was the big thing was I needed to change my diet because my stomach was so messed up. Yeah. And I was just berating my gut with all of these things. And I definitely wasn't drinking enough water. I was not eating veggies or anything like that. And so I was just like, yeah, I, that all of this needs needs to change. I need to I need to throw my entire approach to life out the window mm. and restart. Now my personality well ingrained in me, so that's what's not going to change. But. My approach to everything needed to change. So not drinking. Moved in with you. I fully changed my diet. Kind of went keto. And I 
was miserable that first three weeks. Do you remember seeing me? Oh, yeah. You were so like sluggish and I was so angry. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, there's no way. And it was just my body was just like so used to having these things Mm -hmm. in them. And it was just like, I was fighting it. Mm -hmm. It was like, these mental barriers that I was trying to cross. There's so much going on at that time, you know, changing your attitude and your approach, not drinking after heavily drinking for a while. And then detaching from a lot of people socially that had been everyday people for you. Exactly. Yeah. Those weren't good influences either. So there was a lot going on at that time. So that didn't help. My brain was just like on overload and um, not knowing how to process all of those things. Mm-hmm. That was really difficult. But it's good because I'm pretty much like all in person, you know, and I know you are as well. Mm-hmm. So, so you get that. But after a couple months of changing my diet, not drinking, I was still going out to bars with friends. I was just, I was drinking water, you know. And to watch, that never happened. That was weird. Um, Yeah, you were never the sober Sally. No. They're like, oh man, like you're a DD. And I'm like, let's go with that. Sure. (laughs) No, but I'd get like, you know, they give you free soda and and different things like that. So I was like, this is cool. And then I'm watching my friends and I'm like, that, I'm like, hey man, like that's how I am. No, no, you're much worse. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well. Now, you know, going back to the stories I told you last night, you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. I'm far worse. Uh-huh. So I was like, man, this is a good thing. And uh, yeah, so then food was good. My gut started feeling better. I was taking my enzymes. And we're, we were working on some stuff, you know, you were a big influence on me doing this. Mm -hmm. So you knew a lot more than I did. You were already in this world as always. And (laughs) gross. And so I was just taking in everything that you were telling me, you know, I will sit like, I was kind of a Guinea pig and it was like, Hey, like you're learning this stuff and you're, you're spewing info out at me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, cool. Like, Let's see what happens here. And you were also listening to Ben Greenfield quite a bit, which made a huge impact on you. Yeah, my friend Danny told me about Ben Greenfield and he blew my mind. You know, Mm -hmm. I I went insane on Ben Greenfield podcast and I don't know half of what he was talking about. No. You know, the man is insanely smart. He's so intelligent. And, and he walks the walk and he is his own guinea pig. He does everything he talks about. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would sit there and listen to, like, you know me. I'm I'm no scholar. It's, school was never something that was important to me. But You're really smart. You just don't care about school. Right. You're smarter. You're smarter than most people I know. So I found that when listening to his podcast, I'm like, hey, I don't even know what that means. So I'd write down notes. And I would, I would, everything that I didn't know, I'd write it down and I would start researching it. And that was my, cause I don't read. So like, that was my way of now like reading and kind of like a new hobby. 
and just finding out all about this stuff because I was so intrigued in the health and wellness and, and fitness and all these different things. So, you know, he had Dr. Stephen Cabral on and and different people who have these incredible books out that are changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. So I don't, there's no one he has on his podcast that's a schlub. These are all incredible people. And so, yeah, I went hot and heavy in, into Ben Greenfield and, and that was really how I got my start into listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I just hit the ground running with Okay, just a quick pause from this conversation with my amazing little brother to tell you guys about what I am launching in January, which is tomorrow. We have created the Journey Within Intention. This is a video to kick off your year by calling in lasting change for your mind, body, and soul. I've been talking a lot about healing emotionally and spiritually in order to heal physically. And instead of making a New Year's resolution that falls off about three weeks later, this is going to give you the tools to make lasting change and finally begin your healing journey. You can head to thisistheplatform.com slash thejourneywithin to sign up. This is such an incredible resource that will change your life and I cannot wait to share it with you. How much different did you feel about yourself when you had that mental clarity after you got rid of so much of that that gunk and inflammation that I think was really weighing you down? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was the turning point was getting all of that stuff out and I I didn't realize how heavy it was on me. It was a bunch of little things just added up over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, But my whole perspective changed. It's a daily thing of loving yourself. You know, the first step is acknowledging the fact that you don't. Then you're like, okay, what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. That's, That's heavy. What do you do with that? You don't love yourself. Where do you start? You know, so I think... That's scary in itself. But then you're like, all right, well, now I know this. I have to do something. Mm-hmm. I got to figure this out. So it was a, you know, why do you hate yourself? Start there. You know, what was your answer? I still don't really know, <laughs> but it's hard. I think so. Growing up with you, I don't really blame other people for things in my life, but. But you, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, no, I always had this and it wasn't your fault. You were just doing you and I was doing me and there was really no issues with that. Well, I, I didn't see any issues with that. I was doing a bunch of bad things that people didn't like. So not homework, you know, I was like not doing my homework. I was lying. I was like just being such a bad kid, but like, I was smiling. But you were adorable and charming, so everyone loved you and you got away with murder. Right. And I was doing my thing, you know, and your first grade teacher's like, oh, he's the sweetest, you know, and and my mom's like, but how's he doing? And she's like, oh, no, he's doing horribly. He's failing everything. (laughs) But But he gives the the best hugs. (laughs) He's the nicest kid and I got greatest helper or some (laughs) garbage award that they give people, you know, to make you feel good. And I was like, oh, cool. Like now you have basically told me that everything I did was okay. Yeah. So that's reinforcement. <laughs> and so I was like, sick, I can keep doing this. But you didn't know that at the time. No, I didn't. Yeah. Know. 
At least we we don't know. Right. Maybe. You, you, you obviously did subconsciously. I don't think you consciously knew that. No. But you were treated a certain way. Right. Yeah. And I, I will say one thing, like all of the things that I've done growing up and, and all of that, like I've never had any malicious intent towards doing no. bad things. I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. You were lashing out. Yeah. And you so, were insecure. What I had received a lot growing up that I still don't really understand now that I'm getting older is a lot of teachers would say, you're Stephen Tennant. I'm like, "Uh, yes, hello. And they're like, you're so different from your sister. And I would just be like, as a front, cool, thanks. Appreciate it. I hated them now, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's kind of just where my mind went because I was so angry. It was just immediately hate. I didn't process it. It was just like, no, I hate you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dead to me. And um, well, that's adults telling a kid you're not good enough and right. creating comparison between you and a sibling, which is the worst kind you can do. So I think that's something, obviously, I still think about it, you know? So that has to be something that, that has always weighed heavy on me mm-hmm. and made me not like myself. Well, and I think it's, that's such an important conversation to have because, you know, mom and dad and I know all of that and have known that for a long time. And I think the thing that they did really well is they never said, you're not like your sister or why don't you do that like Kelly or she didn't do that. And so I think that was a really important thing for you to at least at home know that, but it didn't matter because you would come home every night and the person that you were being compared to was sitting there at the dinner table with you. Yelling at me. Yeah, and being a total bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And I think I just think that that became a really uh, toxic relationship and environment for you that perpetuated over time. Yeah, it did. And it it wasn't something that just happened younger. It was like high school mm-hmm. and, and all these things. And just- That's why we didn't really get along until I was in college and gone. You, that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can you can bash on me later. <laughs> I'm going to give you time for that. But I think that that was a huge changing turning point for you was when I was gone and you were able to create your own space. Yeah, I still was at that time when you left for school. Actually, was that my senior year? Mm-hmm. Mm. No. Junior year. It was my junior year. Actually, that was a really good year for me. I actually did really well in school. I had a steady girlfriend. Swim went went great. Water polo was going great. And then I got to my senior year. I think first semester was fine. And then once I found out, because I messed around in school so much, I was really like hurting to find out what school I was going to get into to go play water polo at. And I had my club coaches were, were talking to all these different like division one teams and they're like, well, how are his grades? And they're like, ah, he's had some trouble. And they're like, we're done. They didn't even tell, need to tell him my GPA. It was just like, he's done. Well, so, like a place like Pepperdine where there's such <laughs> high standards and they don't mess around. Pepperdine was my last shot. I had gone there with one of my club buddies and um, I met the coach. And, and so they were interested, but they said, hey, um, you're going to have to go to summer school to do a Spanish class. After you graduate. Yeah, that's not happening. So I had pretty much given up on the fact that I was going to go to a four-year, which actually in the long run 
was better. I probably would have gotten kicked out. Why didn't you want to take the Spanish class? Because I was so ready to leave. And I was honestly probably just going to be embarrassed that I had to go to summer school after you graduate. You know, it was more embarrassing for you to go back and take one Spanish class than it would have been to go to Pepperdine. At that time, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to a four year. Let's party. And I was never a huge partier in school. You know, I got in trouble so much growing up that I got grounded all the time, whether it be grades or caught lying or both of them, you know, whatever, whatever it was, I was in trouble so much. So I get grounded. So I'm actually really grateful for that because I'm so good at being by myself because I had to, be, Yeah, you know, so that that's something that's been a huge benefit in my life as of now is like, especially with trying to figure out how to change myself and, and be better. You know, it was like, you got to spend some time. You got to spend some alone time. Mm-hmm. And that reevaluating period is, that's tough. You know, you're breaking down in the nitty gritty, but. I want to go back to not liking yourself from a young age. Cause I think so many of us go through this and I've talked about it a ton for me. I, I didn't really like myself up until maybe a couple years ago, if that, and it all, it, it's all childhood stuff. And not being accepted and not feeling like a fit in and wanting to be perfect and all of those kinds of things. So aside from having, you know, a shadow over you and comparison, is there anything else that you can think of that caused that for you? Fear of success? I mean, yeah. So that's a tough one. I've never really been able to figure out if I was scared of success or scared of failure. That's, I don't, I don't know. I think it's both. It could be both. Yeah. I I don't know. Because when I look at you, and obviously I know you better than most people, you're one of the smartest, most most talented and athletic people I've ever met. I mean, you are far superior to me in all of those ways. There's no question. And when you tap into that, you get great grades, you break state records, you are one of the best in the country, like bar none. But every time you get to the, every time you would get to that certain point, you would self sabotage because you were scared of being this thing. And you were also scared of failing in that because if you truly put yourself out there, what would that mean? Yeah, I kind of, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> um, no, because that's exactly what I did when I was at Ventura. I never swam you around. My coach wanted me to. And I was just like, that's not going to happen. Like I was done playing water polo. I strictly pretty much went up to Ventura to swim. Mm -hmm. And I was a pretty good water polo player. I'm, I'm a better swimmer. Yeah. I mean, you're, I'm just more talented at swimming. Yeah. Your backstroke Um, is unreal. So I got there and he was just like, yeah, you know, I want you to be in the, the swim class before season. And I was like, that's, yeah, I'm not going to make it. So I stopped. I wasn't showing up. He's like, "Hey, I I need Larry Barrett is an absolute stud of a coach. I respect that man so much. He was he's amazing. Um, he's world round. Like so many people know who he is. And 
So I was just like, all right. He called me into his office and he's like, hey, Steven, what's going on? Like, I'm going to drop you from the class or I'm going to fail you if you don't start showing up to practice. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm just going to drop it. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm honestly not going to come to preseason. Like, I'm just not going to go. And he's just like, you know, everyone's going to be ahead of you. And I was like, I'll catch up. Don't worry about it. You know, so egocentric, just like, I got this. Don't worry about it. And I did, but that's not the point. I could have done so much better. So I left before Christmas. So swim season was going to start. So I went home actually in a panic because I was like, I need to start swimming. So I had like two weeks at home. I hopped in the pool and I just started going ham in the pool. Like I was in so much pain and I just kept going and kept going because I knew I had to get back um, ready to go. So I get back to the pool, season starts, and I'm, I'm barely behind a couple of the guys who've been swimming like preseason and they're talking so much crap. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, they're like, oh, you wish you would have done preseason, huh? And I'm like, cool, man, fuel the fire, please. Cause I'm about to destroy you, you know? And so they kept doing it. And so weeks were going by. And I started catching up and I was like, we were touching at the same time. And then I started passing them. And I don't really talk shit. I, I do, but not <laughs> in that sense. Right. I, I'm uh, like, I'm quiet about those things because I let... You're a quiet assassin. Yeah. I, I let my times and scores and stuff like that kind of uh, speak for themselves. You know, when everyone says like, oh, sco- scoreboard... Yeah, that's like, that's how I kind of live in in that world. And so we, so I swam for four months and that season was the first season I ever swam the 200 free because Eric had always swam that in high school. Like that was his race. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, I don't need to do that. Give me 50 in the hundred and then I'm fine mm-hmm. and backstroke and whatever. So we had a couple meets and my coach uh, was like, hey, Steven, I, I really want you to swim the 200 free. All right. You know, I was like, Eric's always swam it. I was like, I've never swam it before. And he's like, you never swam the 200 at a meet? And I was like, no. And he's like, all right, I want you to swim it. So I swam it, went like a like a 144 or something like that. And it was, it's a mediocre time. It's okay. And, but I felt good. And so he's like, you're going to swim it again. And that was like mid-season. So before I went to state, I swam it six times in a meet, maybe five or six times in a meet. Yeah, so I trained hard for four months. I went to state. I won the 100 back. We won pretty much all of our relays. We set the state record in the two, was it the four by two? And I anchored it with like a 138. And that was so fast. The guy who won it that year at state went like a 137 as individual. So like I was right there, you know, and that I hadn't even tapped into my ability to swim the 200 yet. So we're all hyped up. It was, it was such an amazing meet. I, you know, we had so much fun. And then the next season comes around and I 
fully botched my grades and then I couldn't swim that next year. So that makes your storyline running up to that and, and that whole situation was 100% correct. It's funny, there's a, there's a line in a Paramore song and it says, uh, no, I don't need your help. I can sabotage me by myself. So that's something that like, when I heard that, I was like, holy crap, that's me. Um, I, I was so good at it. So good at it. So that's something I've, I've definitely needed to work on, really hone in on for me in my personal life. It's just like, stop. Mm-hmm. Why are you putting barriers in your way? You know, don't do that. No one else is doing it to you. And that all comes with loving yourself and, and being there and like, you know, advocating for yourself and, and actually taking the time to, to care about yourself. How did all of this manifest into other relationships or in relationships in general? Uh, I mean, it, it ruined them for sure. I think the short term, I definitely loved, I've had probably like three or four women in my life that I've, I truly love. And in, but at that time, you know, we're, we're getting hot and heavy and really serious. But at the end of the day, it's like, you can't continue to have a relationship if you're not taking care of yourself. Like, you can't share some, like, love with someone if, if you don't love yourself. So for a long time, like, I'd be okay. We would be good. We have issues. But what relationship doesn't? And then it would just, I was just going down this rabbit hole and ultimately, yeah, just, just ruined them. And it's cause I wasn't taking care of myself, which in turn was just absolutely ruining the alert, the relationship, the relationship and, and, uh, how we were interacting with each other. So that was something you know, my last, my last girlfriend, we lived together. We, you know, had the dog, the cars, the everything. And she, she's amazing. I mean, she, she did so much for me. She was incredible, but I think I, I definitely took it for granted and I was not in the right state of mind to acknowledge that. And, and yeah, I, I definitely ruined that relationship and for the better it is what it is. Uh, things happen for a reason. What, whatever How many cliches do you want? You know, right exactly. Now? Like you can put whatever you want onto it. But the fact is I was in a horrible place. I didn't take the time. Wasn't taking care of her or I like it was, it was just a, a really, really toxic thing. And so when I broke up with her, I told her, I said, Hey, you're going to th- like, you're going to thank me for this. And obviously that's, that's not going to go over well, but it's, it's a breakup. Nothing is, but I was like, you're going to thank me for this. Like we, we need this. You need this. You know, I did it for her and for me. Like I needed to get away. I need to focus on my stuff. Cause I was an absolute disaster. I was so unhappy. I got complacent at work. I was bringing it home. I I was just turning into this whole other person that I didn't want to be. And it it sucks, you know, because at the time, that's really hard to get away from. You've built this thing 
I think that's one of the strongest things I've ever done in my life was getting away mm-hmm. from that to focus on myself. Because you had to. It's like, what am I going to drag this out for seven more years, get married, have kids, and then have a midlife crisis? Like, no way. There's no way. So I think I thought about that and I was like, I can't do this. We can't do this. So I moved and that's when I went down a destructive path still, but had our conversation, you know, nine months later, however long it was and really changed my life. You were taking the steps for sure. You still had a you said a little bit of destruction in there, but you were starting to see what life could be like if you advocated for yourself and took care of yourself. I want to talk about lifeguarding and when you found that, because I think for our family, we saw the change in you when you found lifeguarding. And I always tell people when I describe you, I say, you know, he made bad decisions in his life, but when he found lifeguarding, he had the lives of other people in his hands and he saved them on a daily basis. And that gave you purpose and focus. And I think you found your value within that in a way that you never had before. And you were able to use your incredible skill swimming, plus all of your incredible leadership skills that you had built for so many years and were really able to hone in on to create this incredible career and I mean, truly save people's lives. And I think it saved you. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know me, I've always wanted to do things that the family's really never done. I wanted to get out and do different stuff. And, you know, you're doing that as well. Yeah, lifeguarding kind of just, it's not really, a, it was something that was sought after. It kind of fell in my lap. Um, I was, I just moved up to Long Beach and I was swimming. And this one of my buddies, Mike, I was like, man, I need a summer job. Like, I need to make money. And he was like, come to Seal Beach and lifeguard. And I, you know, me and my buddies had always made fun of lifeguards growing up. And you'd be like, nerds, like, tell me how to swim and all these different things. But I was like, all right, you know what? I need a gig. Let's let's go do it. And so I tried out. I got like second or third on the swim, second or third on the run, swim, run. And I fell in love with it. We went through the training. I was I was good at it. Like you said, there was a purpose. And I thought it was so cool. It was just like, I get to wear board shorts every day and talk to chicks on the beach and like just go swim. And we have a jet ski we can go train on and all of these things. And so I was just like, this is going to be so much fun fun. And it was the the first summer lifeguarding was just, that was one of the best summers I've ever had in my life. And I just like saving people and doing that. I mean, that's what, that just changed my whole life. Like I took lifeguarding so serious and it, I wanted to do it every day. And they're like, Hey, can you stay after? I'm like, yes, hundred percent. And like, I don't really do things for money. Like I do things off of like good feelings and and vibes and like what's going to make me be like an ultimate person, you know? And that's like, are you kidding? Like I get to hang out at the beach and then go save people and like make sure they're okay. 
Yeah. And I was, boss them around. And uh, I don't really like the policing too much, but you're good at it. Though. Don't mess with me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mr. Tenant comes for you. you. You know, you're in trouble. If you do your thing and it, you know, you're following the rules, it's fine. But like, don't argue with me because it's not going to go well. You know, no, but it, it did change my life. And that's why I did it for 10 years. And I came back every summer and I worked year round for four. I was, we call it winter crew. And, but with all good things come really bad things. So I had settled into this role and it was seven years in it at Seal Beach. And so I, I was no longer finding the joy. And that's when I made the move to LA County. And so I was working up at Zuma Beach and Malibu Pier and, and that was so fun. Like working at Zuma was... Now I was out of the truck. I was back on the tower and you pretty much say you have an eight hour shift. You're on the beach for around six hours of that, just walking around and doing preventative measures. Cause if, if someone gets taken by a rip or side current or anything like that, like they're gone and now you're on a really gnarly rescue. So I had so much fun and, and like you said, it was, it was my own thing. You know, no one in our family has ever been a lifeguard or or done anything like that. So I was just like, I was like, yeah, this is mine. You know, no one can take this from me. Like I've I've earned this. I'm doing this thing every single day. And I still I still say it's it's the best job in the world. But I had to make moves. I was getting bored. I I kind of knew it. And I had worked at the hospital. And that was super fun. Your own little Grey's Anatomy. I learned so much. Oh, Grey's. <laughs> Sorry, Meredith didn't show up. You know, it's okay. Or Teddy or Arizona. There are some pretty smoking <laughs> surgical residents. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I worked at the hospital. That was a lot of fun. But it's still like there was something missing, you know? And, and it was funny because every single time after summer was over, I would think about joining the military. And it's something I've wanted to do since I was young. Like I wanted to be a rescue swimmer or like a Navy SEAL or like something like that. You know, like a young egocentric boy. He's cool, just like, I'm going to be yeah. the man. I'm going to be gnarly and all these things. And it just, it wasn't the right time. And then it wasn't the right time or something came up, you know? And it wasn't, I wouldn't say like they were roadblocks that of my own making, you know, it was just the way it was. And it was just wasn't time. I was still having so much fun and I wasn't ready to buckle down. Like when you join the military, it's like, all right, man, they own you. It's go time. You, you can't do the things you're doing in civilian life. And so I was like, all right, like I'm not ready for that. And then I had my relationship and we had talked about me joining the air force and doing all these things. And then that kind of fell through. And so, yeah, I, was looking at the end of the, towards the end of the summer, I was like, holy crap, like I need another job after this. Like, what am I going to do? So I was looking for restaurant jobs, never worked a restaurant before. So everyone's like, no, nope, I'm not going to hire you. You don't have any restaurant experience. I'm like, cool. How am I supposed to get experience? If you don't hire me, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> so then I was looking all over the place and I was like, you know what? I think it's time to get out of here. 
I talked to a few of the lifeguards that are permanents. And one of them was like, you know, I was here for 10, 11 years and then I needed to leave. He's like, I was getting so complacent. He's like, I was, I was just losing my mind because it was so, it's the same thing every single day. And yeah, you get rescues and it's amazing, but like, that's not always happening. You know, there's a lot of downtime in the winter and that's seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get some random swells. We have some nice days at Southern California. Like it's 85 degrees in December and February. Like what is happening? You know? So yeah, there was work and it's exciting, but I, th- I was missing something. I needed, I needed more. I needed a full-time job and a gig and, and just something that was more challenging. And stability. And stability. Yeah. I, I, that was something that was lacking, you know? So I was going to join the Air Force to go pararescue. And then my recruiter left for three months and didn't tell me. He was like in Texas or something. I couldn't get a hold of him. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to join the Coast Guard. I'm going to be a rescue swimmer. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going for it. And so I did it. I I took the ASVAB. I joined. I Within three months, what was it? Three months of taking the ASVAB, I was ready to go. Had my boot camp date. And... It, it was go time. I signed a six-year contract. You want to talk about stability and a commitment, you know? Mm-hmm. There it is. Total 180. Was there fear in committing for six years and changing your life in this way? No. And it's funny because you talk to someone with commitment issues. No, that was probably one of the easiest decisions I made. He said, do you want to do four? I was like, can I do six? And he said, yeah. I was like, sign me up. I was ready to go. I was so ready to go. It was it, we were doing the same thing every day. It was I was lifeguarding. I was going home to seal and seeing my friends who I love, but like we're not doing anything. And where were you living? I mean, you were living in a tent. You were living on my couch. Okay, you were living. Well, with the friends. tent now. I know. Very I was cool. for people who don't know. I had a tent on my truck, which I still have. Okay. It was amazing. And I lived out of that thing for like three months at Zuma Beach where people pay like $20 million for homes. And I was 20 steps from the sand. So with that. Very cool. You also <laughs> lived in a tent in the back of our friend's house in his backyard. <laughs> Ryan, And somehow Pinto. you still got girls. Thank you. Pretty sure that that was weird. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but I think for you, that was a huge realization you had in stabilization in your home life and going back to the same place where you felt comfortable and safety wasn't a thing for you, but I think safe within that space and not having to bounce around. I think that had been something that had started to wear on you. Yeah. I was eating at me. I was, you know, I was 28 and I I didn't have a home. I was bouncing around, which in my mind, I was like, all right, like that's not too bad. Like whatever. At least I've people here for me and, and really willing to help me out. But at the same time, it's like, all right, I don't want to become that guy. Maybe I was already him. <laughs> I don't know, but I recognized it. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. Like I need to buckle down and, and really figure this out. And I didn't know what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I looked at fire. I was looking at lifeguarding and I was like, I can't do that for 20 years. 
I'm going to be so young when you retire. Like I'm not ready to buckle down in that sense. I'm ready to have a career and do something, but like being here for the next 20 to 25 years, doing the same job, possibly moving up. I was like, no, no, that does not, that doesn't sound good to me. And I tried, like I tried going for fire and tried doing all that stuff and just wasn't working out. wasn't paying out. It's one of the hardest jobs to get because it's just so impacted. So yeah, no, it wasn't scary for me to to join and pull the trigger and, and do six years. That was one of the easiest decisions I've ever made because I was so ready to go. It's funny now, and I, a lot of people who know me in my past and they've seen me work and grind and and go so hard in the gym and in the pool and, and lifeguarding and all those things. So I meet people now and I'm telling them, they're like, oh, like what rate are you going to go? I'm like, I... I want to go AST, which is aviation survival technician, rescue swimmer. And so, oh, that's, you know, that's really hard. Are you sure? That's that's really hard. The attrition rate's like 90%. And I'm like, yeah. It's not something new to me. It's not something that I just, I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm going to go be a rescue swimmer, you know? like. Well, but you're also 10 years older than a lot of these kids that are joining. You're in a different place. Well, it's not even just them that's telling me. I'm like talking. Right. I get that. But I I Uh, think they're used to dealing with someone that has 10 years of experience in the workforce already and has somewhat of a more level head. I had my EMT. Yeah. Worked the hospital, lifeguarding, swimming, my whole background. Yeah, it's huge. So then like people don't know that. Right. So it's funny because I'm not going to go out there and and be like, oh, well, you don't even know. You don't know me. You know, like you don't even go here. You think you know. Um, (laughs) You have no idea. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't know my past. They don't know my history. And it's not something I'm going to go out and just be like, oh, well, you know, I've done that. Like, that's just not me. I don't care. Go ahead. Like I said earlier, fuel the fire. Keep telling me I can't do it. Keep telling me how hard it is. You know, just because you can't swim. You know, and like, you can't do these things. Like, don't project that onto me. Don't take your own personal stuff and project that onto people. Because that's, if I was a a weak person mentally, that could ruin me. And then it would start this cycle of like, oh no, I can't, I can't do that. Um, That's really hard. They told me I couldn't do it. So maybe I shouldn't. I should just be, you know, a yeoman or whatever, you know, it's like, no, how dare you? How dare you? You don't know me. I will make this happen. So, yeah, so they're just feeling the fire, and I'm okay with that. Just a quick break to talk about conventional beauty and household products and how much you guys know I hate them. They're full of chemicals that cause cancer, autoimmune disease infertility, and disrupt hormones. So as we get to the end of this year and begin 2019, I'm really excited for you to go on this non-toxic journey with me and overhaul all of your old products. And a company that I want to talk about that will help you in doing so is Beauty Counter. They're leading the charge on Washington to change the standard of beauty for us all with their Never List. And they make it easy to get so many clean, effective products in one place. 
you can head to my shop at thisistheplatform.com slash shop for a link to my favorite products like their highlighter palette and beautiful foundation. And rest assured that you're getting the very best from them. They also have a men's and kids line, so you're fully covered for everyone in your life. And Beauty Counter is founded by a woman, and you all know how I feel about that. So remember, head to my shop to learn more. What is the most important thing you learned about yourself during boot camp? Actually, a huge thing happened. I would no longer got embarrassed. I have so easily my whole life get I just got embarrassed and I would just get red and not knowing how <laughs> emotions work, I would just get angry. So I was I'd get embarrassed and then I would just get angry. So with that, so you're in you're in boot camp and you have to sound off, which means you just scream your face off until your voice is gone and your veins are popping and all of this stuff. So one of the things I had to do as a yeoman was you're, I don't know how much I can actually give away, but basically you have to sound off in front of hundreds of people and say things specifically to the way they've tailored like the boot camp. So like you say semen recruit tenant and like chief, whoever it is, and then you have to spit this out while screaming and you still don't really know what you're talking about. And you just have to hope that you say it right. If not, you're going to get berated and destroyed. So that happened. I was I was screamed at. I said things wrong. I would uh, march wrong. You know, it's, it's whatever. The, the smallest turn. And you're an idiot. You're whatever. You're, you're this and that. And they berate you. And it's actually really funny. And you can't laugh because then you'll get destroyed even more. But no, they, they really... Coming from a 28-year-old 20, guy, I see it. You know, I see the process and I see what they're trying to do. So I, would, I wouldn't say it was easy for me, but like I understood what they were getting at. So yeah, so having to kind of, I put myself out there. I, I took a job as a yeoman in the company because I was like, normally I wouldn't do that. I'm like, no, man, I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to make it through this and then I'm, I'm out. Well, I wanted to make changes, right? I wanted to be a different person. So I was like, I'm going to take this job. And that is probably, besides squad leader, yeoman is the most visible job that you have in the company. And what are you doing? You're taking care of everyone's paperwork. You're constantly on the quarter deck in the eyes of the CCs and then you're going to chow and you have to go through all these steps of signing people in and do it. So you're constantly being scrutinized by people and they're looking at you and they're waiting for you to mess up. So like in that, that was a huge change for me because I'm not really used to people coming up to my because you know you get like trolls and people talk crap on the internet and you see that all the time right so you know people will talk crap behind your back but no one will come up to your face and say it they will so they come up and they're just like you know who are you this and that like you did this wrong and, and all these things and you're like I I and you're just like ah like this is crazy I have four hours of sleep um <laughs> it's like we're like five weeks in I haven't slept a wink so I think that was a big one. They don't care. They're not there to coddle you. They're not there to hold your hand. You're not special. 
you're here for a reason. You're here to serve. They're going to break you down and they're going to find your weaknesses. They're going to try and make you cry. They're going to work you out. They're, they're going to break your brain down. And I watched it happen with a lot of people. Like I was tired, but I was fine. And so, yeah, that was something I didn't realize in the moment. Um, but I came out later and I was like, holy crap, Like I don't really get embarrassed anymore. To the point of where I used to say, I don't give up, you know, I really didn't. And it wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't a front. It was like, I wasn't embarrassed and I wasn't angry anymore because that's something I'd been working on. And I had finally channeled my emotions and was able to respond to things in a way that that wasn't negative. You know, everything I try to do in my life is is pretty positive and um, try and maintain positive people around me. But yeah, as far as boot camp goes, I, I don't get embarrassed anymore. How did you work through understanding emotions more? We were talking about this last night of how the problem is that people aren't able to express their emotions or understand them from a very young age. And that's really the problem with a lot of things in this world. And that's something that you had dealt with. Very much so. So, you know, people always ask me, okay, well, now I'm aware of this thing and I'm supposed to do the quote unquote work. What does that look like and how do I do it? So what did that work look like for you regularly? I think I was just, uh, yeah. So you're suppressed from a young age to not be angry, not be sad. You're not allowed to cry, especially as a, a male. You can't cry. You cry, you're weak. Like that's not okay. So it's like, that's not true. You know, let's go ahead and stop doing that because you're ruining people. You're ruining their brain. They're not able to function properly. And then you get older and you're a bunch of people who can't channel their emotions and you're weak, you know, or, or scared or whatever it is. Cause you don't know. So as far as the, the work for me, uh, not getting angry, I, had really dropped expectations of people. I lose some people in that sometimes when I'm explaining it. But if you have expectations, let's say even strangers, whatever it is, you meet someone, you're involved in, in some facet of life, you have expectations for people, right? Now, if they don't meet those expectations, depending on the person you are, but you get you get mad or you get upset and now it's ruined your day. Why? Why are you doing that? Now, if you take those expectations away, what's going to happen? You're not going to get upset and you're not going to be angry and you're not going to cause any more stress that you have already in your life. Like, let's go ahead and stop adding to stress that you already have. Life's hard enough. So don't make it harder. So, you, so hacking into your brain in that way, at least for me, everyone thinks differently and everyone responds to things differently, but dropping expectations of people for me was probably one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. Because now they let you down before, well, now they can't let you down. And if they do something great, it's like, okay, cool. Like, I'm not going to pat you on the back. Like, you, you were a good human being. You were a good friend. You're a good family member. Like, whatever. That's great but it's not going to change you. 
you have your own things to worry about. You have your own stuff. So don't let other people affect your life with their garbage, you know, whatever it is. So that for me, like dropping expectations was a huge one for me. And, you know, I have walls up. I have, you know, everyone has defense mechanisms and different things like that. But if it's positive for you at that time and it's helping you make moves, you have to do it. You know, drop people that are causing negativity in your life. If they're not contributing to you, and I don't mean that in a sense of like in a selfish way, like don't have friends because you can get things from them. That's not what I'm saying. If if they if you can't sit down and have an actual conversation with someone that's not regarding materialistic things, and you can actually sit down and have a solid conversation like we have about emotions, um, about changes in in life in this world, and and kind of breaking down to those those things, they're probably not really contributing to your life at all. That's that's a friendship of convenience. Um, yeah, you can go out and have fun and, and do all those things. But at the end of the day, I don't really like people that much. So, and I know that. So I was like, so why am I keeping these people in my life? You know, I don't even like myself. Like, why would I keep hanging out with these people that I don't like? You know, I need to, I need to work out like my own stuff and like me. And then I can kind of work through that and, and filter out those people. So it's just like people who complain all the time, who don't make positive changes in their life. And they just, they've been talking about the same thing for years. They complain about how their stomach hurts, but won't make any changes to their diet. They're complaining about how not, they're not fit enough that they don't work out. You know, it's like, hey man, change. Do something different. I can't just keep sitting here and listening to you complain about it. You don't have any money. Get a job. You know, like get a second job. Well, that's too hard. Well, then don't complain about not having money. You know, so I was having all sorts of that in my life, and I just I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this. You know, you're just complaining all the time. You have no no positive things to come out, and you're not even asking me how I'm doing. I have so many friends. Like, how do you have a good friend and you don't say, how are you? No, like, oh, well, I'm working. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not talking about work. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. How are you? I will ask every single one of my good friends because I actually care. You know, I want to know what's going on so we can talk about these things. No one does that. No one does that. Because they don't want to tap in to their emotions or they can't. Right. They don't know how to. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, you might be sitting there with your friend and then have what happened with me and you. And you're, you're still unsure if they're that person that you can break down. And you say one word, one trigger word, and they might just lose their mind like I did when I was talking to you. Nobody wants that in a setting they don't trust, you know? So that's another hard one is like finding people to trust. I trust very few people. Mm -hmm. So I know very few people actually care. So 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one. You know, that's a tricky one to navigate through. But I think for a lot of people who, if you are searching for ways to, I don't know, integrate new things into your life, maybe not. I don't like the word control. I, that has a really negative connotation for me. Like, I don't really like. She's like, you need to control your emotions, or you need to control this, and it's like, no don't control it integrate positive things into your life and and channel good behavior you know whether it's on a nutrition level or a fitness level or um, being able to talk to people or cutting people out of your life it's just just integrate different things into your life to make it better um, don't control things so then if you try to control them and then you lose control well then that whole starts a whole spiral and and it's horrible and now you're going down this rabbit hole of, of bad negative things going on. So and and pick things. So you say you sit down with someone and they say you say write a list of everything good in your life and everything bad kind of a pro cons um, for your life and everything that you kind of want to change, right? So they write this whole list. And so you're like, all right, positive things. That's all good. That's, that's great. Um, let's hone in on those. Now let's look at the bad things and the things you want to change. So when you say, that's too much. I can't do it. That's way too much. There, uh, there's no way I can do this. They're fighting it, right? They're just like, I can't, I can't do that. That's way too many things to change in my life. And it's like, no, you don't need to do all of that. Pick one thing. In nutrition, pick one thing in fitness, and and one thing in, in positive goals for yourself. Right, reach those, and then pick another thing. Everyone so badly just wants it to change, and wants it to be different immediately, and it's like you can't do that. And the moment you take on forty things to change in your life and you screw up one, people probably don't have the mental capacity to keep trying. They're just going to be like, I'm done. That didn't work. I'm over it. So if you want to make changes in your life and you're not full throttle, (laughs) 100% all in with stuff like that, and it's hard for you, pick a couple of things. Take something out of your diet that you eat all the time that that you know. There's no way people don't know it's bad for them anymore. You don't care. It's not that you don't know. You don't care. So to take certain things out and then you won't think about it anymore. What are some of the your favorite things that you've added into your diet that have made a positive impact on your health? Uh, a couple of the biggest things were my digestive enzymes. They're called masszymes and they are incredible. That's something that's helped out my gut uh, immensely. Uh, from Ben Greenfield's company, Keon. It's not a plug, just saying. Hashtag um, want to be sponsored. <laughs> His essential amino acids, I get those. Those are phenomenal. It's kind of one of those things that you, if you don't want to eat before you go to the gym or like 
you know, feel that because it's, it's hard to work out sometimes. You're doing like cardio and psych circuits and stuff like that. It's, it's you feel heavy. Mm-hmm. So you can take like these essential amino acids and the, there's your fuel right there. Now, as far as like, I run mostly vegetarian diet. Uh, it's a vegetable forward diet. Plant, so every plant based with meat. Yeah. So yeah, after we had our 22 ounces of <laughs> lamb last night and your ribeye. No, most of most of what I eat is is vegetables and stuff like that, and then I'll throw in. I'll make recently a lot of pork tenderloin and and chicken and stuff like that. I don't eat red meat too much. A little bit goes a long way, I think. With that, uh, I can't eat peanuts, and I can't have dairy. So those two just absolutely wreck me. Um, as far as my stomach, I don't get any other issues from that, mm. from that, the, the inflammation and the stomach problems is enough. You know, I'm absolutely ruined. You give me a glass of milk and I'm probably not going to see you the next day, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've had to cut those things out. Thankfully we've made such a huge stride with nutrition and we're finding all these things that can be replaced or are better for you anyways. It's like, I don't do canola oil in, in those things. That's pretty much out of my diet. I rarely have dairy. I enjoy my pizza just like everyone else. Um, I just have to pop like 10 of those digestive enzymes, <laughs> but, but they help. And I mean, people see me on my, my Instagram. I will eat Wendy's and eat candy, you know, like I eat Snickers and Butterfinger and all those things because I'm a human being and it's okay. You know, everyone thinks that you really need to take all these things out of your diet. Depending on your your problems, if you have like celiac and, and different issues with that and you're on a plan, then yeah, don't do the things that I do, but I don't have any of those issues. Right. I just have a little bit of digestive problems. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I'm still figuring that out. I'm not a doctor, man. I can't see one about these things sometimes. So it's, I'm hacking my own body and trying to figure out what's going on. But yeah, I try to follow a pretty healthy diet. Sweet potatoes, like greens, all that stuff. And I don't eat, you know, uh, romaine and lettuce like that. I'm eating arugula. I'm eating kale, spinach, you know, the power greens. You get Swiss chard and and all those things. Like those are so good. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to cook a lot of my meals. I don't eat bread and pasta too much, but I've I've recently started eating pasta a little bit more. Um, And I just feel it out. Mm -hmm. You know, food mixture, we were talking last night about uh, food combining. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've struggled with for a long time. It was just like, holy crap, like I can't eat those things close together or maybe within the same day. Mm-hmm. That's something I think recently I've been working on more is I have a good I have a good feeling for the things I should be eating and what I usually eat. I know what I can't, but what I don't know is which ones I can't combine within the same day or, or maybe six hours or whatever it is. Um, and I think intermittent fasting has been a huge thing. So I learned that from Ben Greenfield as mm-hmm. well. Um, you hear about it, but I never really researched it. And I was like, <laughs> seriously, like who doesn't want to eat? Like what's wrong with you? 
Um, and people think there's like a misconception of that. And they're like, well, like I'm, I'm not trying to lose weight or like I need to eat to maintain, you know, my muscle or like this and that. And it's like, yeah, you can still intermittent fast. You just need to eat the same amount of calories in the evening that you would have eaten that day. And yeah, that's a really big meal for some people, but you can intermittent fast and you choose your hours, you know, of what you want to do. And it's just, it's giving your stomach a break. Like give your body, like you rest after you work out, right? Going hard, doing all these things. You're, uh, you're studying for a really long time. Your brain needs a break. So does your stomach. Give your stomach a break. Stop freaking shoving all this stuff into your belly for hours upon end and and just step back and relax, man. Like you're going to feel so much better. So my last question for you is how do you feel about yourself now? I'm happy. I'm happy. I feel good. I'm healthy. I have a good job. Um, I have good relationships. I'm, yeah, I mean, I wake up every single morning and I just, I'm, I smile almost every morning when I wake up and I'm like, let's go every single day. I say, let's go. And it gets me fired up. It's like my own little personal mantra, you know, mom's going to cry I, when she hears that. I throw the <laughs> F word in there. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be you. If I don't want to no say effort. that. I can't believe I made it this whole time. I'm shocked because you can cuss on the show. You've cussed less than almost all my guests. I know. Why are you being so classy? Is I don't know. Me? It's kind of weird. I think dad. it's because I'm holding a microphone and I'm so not used to doing that. <laughs> can you imagine if the camera was on me right now? I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm genuinely happy and healthy and I'm so excited for the future. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I love you. Good job. I love you too. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you heard, my brother has been on a crazy ride already in his young life of 28 years, but I could not be more proud of him and the person that he has become. He has taken every obstacle in stride and has come out on top and is truly such an amazing leader and has done such a beautiful job of recreating his life the way he wants it to look. And he is a constant inspiration in my life and has been my rock through so much. And I am so excited that you guys got to hear us chat. Like he said, this was his first ever interview in his whole life. So it was pretty special that he got to do it with me on this show. So we're definitely going to have to have him back because he has so much more to share. So I hope you guys have an amazing new year. I am in Tulum as we speak, soaking up the sun and recharging for 2019. I can't wait to rejoin you in the new year. Have a great night. Enjoy all the celebrations and I will see you soon.